Hey, welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Christy in my closet in St. Louis. And this is Beth in my closet in North Carolina. Good morning, Beth. Good happy morning, Monday. Happy Monday. <laughs> you know what's random that I just thought of again when we were starting that intro? Um, that yesterday when I was running, I was thinking, I like, I don't know, that randomly I should just start saying, in my closet in the loo. <laughs> You can't change it now. I know. <laughs> but I was but like, I that's always cute, say the loo. <laughs> but then I'm like, hmm. so anyway. Yeah. Well, when we first started, you were new to the loo. And so yeah. you didn't, you hadn't leaned in quite yet, I think. Honestly, I probably didn't even know it was the loo. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not. Depends. But anyway, so yeah. <laughs> it's cute. It's good to see you. Good to see you too. On this Martin Luther King Day. Oh, that yes. reminds me. Okay, I just was going to say we have a new Patreon that we want to thank. Again, Patreon, they're rolling in. Stephanie E is new to our closet. So thank you very much. Welcome in. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you. It's exciting. I know mm-hmm. we've been growing up over there lately. And that's so fun. It is fun. Yeah, it is. So um, I was thinking, since we are dropping on MLK Day, that we should give a little maybe lesser known facts of Martin Luther King. I think that is a phenomenal idea. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We we, um, celebrate pretty – not heavily, but like it's really important in our household – and we put a huge emphasis on it. We make sure we talk about it and whatnot. And so I just thought it would be fun because there are some things that maybe people don't know. Maybe you do know. Um, I knew most of these that are on here. I got my – I'm getting my facts from history.com, by the way. Okay. Um, but I did know most of them. The first one, which I already told you, but mm-hmm. um, his birth name was actually Michael and not Martin. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. So, yeah, like I had explained to you, both of his father and his name were Michael. So he was Michael King Jr., but then his dad changed both of their names mm-hmm. when he was five years old, when Jr. was five years old, to Martin Luther King Jr. So that is interesting. So he went by Michael or Mike or Mikey or something, <laughs> and then all of a sudden one day, give all the options here, one day he was Martin. Yeah. And I mean, like at five. Which, you know, you, you know your name by five. And You're it's right. not like it was like, oh, he was one and hey, he did not, didn't even hear his name that much. Although he's, you're responding to it at that time. But anyway, so it is interesting that he thought it was uh-huh. changed then. But anyway, it was. Um, the next one is that Martin Luther King entered college at the age of 15. That's crazy. Can you freaking imagine? Like, my kid's 16. Uh-huh. And I'm like, yep, you're not ready for college yet. <laughs> No. Yeah. Oh, that would be like our middle guy. Oh, no, your oldest, my middle, being ready in three years. Yeah. It's hilarious. Although your middle might be. (laughs) I mean, he's gifted, but I don't know that he was that gifted. (laughs) So even just socially, it's like, yeah. Poof. That's a, that's being a 15 year old around some kids that are like 22. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, he, let's see, he was imprisoned more than 30 times or almost 30 times. 
I think it was like 29 or something like that. Man, that's yeah. crazy. It is. And some of them people believe were like trumped up charges. Like one was because he went 25 and a 30. And so he was. And they sent him to jail? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that's trumped up. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm sorry, 30 and a 25. I, I screwed that up. He was driving 30 and a 25. So he's going five. Well, over, still, we all do. All and you time. don't go to jail for speeding anyway. <laughs> no, no. So that's what I'm saying. Like, people believe that some of them were trumped up. So, which eh, mm-hmm. I believe that one is. So, um, also, he apparently narrow, I didn't know this one, narrowly escaped an assassination attempt a whole 10 years before he died. Hmm. So he was like at a book signing and where was he? Harlem. He was in Harlem. Mm -hmm. And he was approached by a woman and asked if he was Martin Luther King. And when he said, yes, she said, I've been looking for you for five years and plunged a seven inch letter opener into his chest. Oh my gosh. Why don't people talk about that? I don't know. And it was like apparently right alongside his aorta. A A order. Yeah. order. <laughs> so anyway, he had to have surgery, but he survived. And that just uh, 10 Thank years goodness. later. 10 yeah. years later, to make that public speech he made, which some believe foretold his death, because huh. the day after that speech, he was assassinated. And in that speech, he said that he'd like to live a long life, but nothing's promised. And he is content and happy with what he's done and whatnot, and that mm-hmm. he's not a fearing man. So, and then all of a sudden, I believe it was the next day. So, hmm. like, some believe he was kind of like foretelling his like it was a pro- prophetic speech or something. Yes, mm. yes. And then let's see. George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and Cesar Chavez were the only other Americans to have had their birthdays observed as a national holiday. Or are the only. Who's Cesar Chavez? (laughs) Why you have to ask me? I don't know. You don't know who that is? And we celebrate his birthday? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's going to call us out on that. Oh, no. I'm looking it up. Yeah, you should. So anyway, there's not many people that we celebrate as a national holiday. And so anyway, Um, and this isn't on history.com. This is just my, my personal little known fact. It's, it's actually a known fact because his assassination date is known, but he was assassinated on my birthday, 10 years before me. So April 4th, 1968. So I always know that date because I'm like, it's not my birthday 10 years before I was born. Oh, that's sad. It's a sad day. I mean, it's not. He was an amazing man. Yeah. But anyway, so those are my little known facts of Martin Luther King for you on this Martin Luther King Monday. Yes. Thank you for those fun facts. You're welcome. welcome. And I'm glad that we are able to pay nod to a Mm -hmm. very great man. Yes. Um, Also, another great man, Cesar Chavez. Uh Uh-huh. He was an American labor leader and civil rights activist. He co-founded the National Farm Workers Association. Oh. Yeah. I know that name. Like, I knew the name. But I had no idea what he did. 
So yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Anytime. Yeah. Anyway. So another civil rights activist. Yes. Okay. Good. Well, do you got anything else? I don't. I don't have anything. I thought that was very cool. Okay. All right. Well, then we might as well just get right into our crime story for the day. Let's do that. All right. Here we go. So we have got another survivor story for you. Oh, no way. This is like becoming a trend, I think. Like, I mean, actually, I don't know because we, I feel like got this, um, not recommendation, (laughs) what do we call it? Suggestion, (laughs) sorry. We got this suggestion, like, I think before we started doing those. Anyway, Brittany on Facebook sent this to us and- Hello, Brittany. A, yes, hello, Brittany. It's a great story, and it's a survivor story, and I hope you guys enjoy it. It's nice to sprinkle those in every now and then, I think, and we enjoy them because clearly it's easier to report on that when you know that nobody died. So, again, nice. spoiler alert, but here we go. Okay. So, we have Jennifer Schuett, who was an eight-year-old girl living with her mother at Yorktown Apartments in Dickinson, Texas. Oh, why do you been getting all the Texas cases lately? Right? Exactly. I'm jealous. I bet. I bet now that you know what this, I mean, it involves a child, but Mm -hmm. it's still I know you said eight and my face dropped, Mm -hmm. but yeah. But I think this would be one that you would like make an exception for, I think. Oh, okay. So, okay. So anyway, this was in 1990. This, that's when they lived in Dickinson, Texas, Texas. She had just finished her second grade year and was enjoying her summer before school started again. She was very afraid of the dark and would often, well, actually, I think every night sleep with her mother in bed with her. Okay. But on August 10th of 1990, she was a bit restless while she was sleeping and her mother was like, hey, listen, I'm going to wake up for work tomorrow. You're not sleeping very well. Would you mind like going into your own bed at this point? So she's like, okay, I'll do this for you, mom. So she walks into her room, she turns on her lamp and she grabs some books to read and eventually just kind of like falls to sleep as she's looking at these books. She wakes up sometime during the night though, and she's in the arms of an unknown man running down the street. Okay. So that is really terrifying. Uh, yes, hundred percent agree with you because that's like, Next level, you've been stolen while you're like, or kidnapped from your bed. Stolen. 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 (laughs) Not funny, but yes. We don't steal people. No, we don't steal people. We kidnap them. Mm -hmm. So she's in these arms, in the arms of this man. He puts her in a car, drives off, and eventually pulls into this parking lot of a school. And here he tells her that he's an undercover police officer don't be scared. Don't worry. Your mom's going to be coming to pick you up soon. But after a while, she's kind of like, uh, yeah, I don't think my mom's coming. And she realizes that she thinks that this guy probably just kidnapped me. And then all of a sudden he snaps and tries to strangle her and she goes unconscious. Oh my gosh. When she comes to possibly hours later, she doesn't really have any idea. She finds herself lying in a field naked. 
unable to scream or make any noises and is like struggling to move in general. She manages to kind of like fling her arm because she can't really move. So she like, I don't know, I guess kind of picture your, your limbs like feeling numb or like pins and needles. And you know how you really feel like you can't move it, but you can like fling it over. Do you know what I'm yes. talking about? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, so this is what she does because she feels like she can't move. She can't scream. So she flings her arm over her and manages to like feel her neck and realizes that there's a large wound across her neck, which is why she can't make any noise and scream. And there's a lot of blood. And she realizes, I'm pretty sure that I was left here to die at eight years oh my old. God, this sweet baby. Oh my God. Yes. For real. Also, she's lying on top of an anthill and there are ants all over her and they're biting her. So just imagine like you're in the state you're in and now you also have ants just biting, biting you all over. And she can do nothing but just lie there and just take it all. So over the (sighs) next several, right. So over the next several hours, she would go in and out of consciousness. And each time that she would wake up, she would be surprised that she's still alive. Like she's convinced I'm dying right here. So when she wakes up, she's like, wow, I haven't died yet. Oh my gosh. And oh my gosh. Seriously, can you imagine feeling that way? And you're eight. I I can't imagine feeling that way at 44. Right. Let alone eight years old. Wow. So somewhere around 12 to like 14 hours later, a group of children are playing hide and seek in that same field. And she can hear them, but she's unable to like make any noises to make her to like get their attention or anything. And then all of a sudden, one of the kids trip over her foot (gasps) and they're like, Oh my gosh, what is going on? And they're startled by what they see. And the next time that she comes to, she's seeing a police officer standing over her and he's assuring her, you're safe now. We are doing all we can to get you out of here. You know, don't worry, whatever. She's airlifted to a local hospital. Her throat was slit from ear to ear. Mm. The laceration, laceration went through her trachea. Oh my God. And severely cut her vocal cords. She underwent surgery and the doctors were not confident that she would even survive the night at that point. And if she did, they said that she would never talk again because of how severely her vocal cords were, were cut. It was also determined at that time that she had been sexually assaulted. Jennifer in recent interviews, because she does survive has said that she was unconscious when all of those heinous acts were occurring. And so she does not have any memory of it, which is a huge blessing. She doesn't remember being raped. She doesn't remember her throat being slit. She has no memory of it, except waking up and knowing that, like feeling that. Also, you said she said, which is Mm -hmm. cool. She said, okay. Yeah. She said, she said, okay. So at the scene, the police find a pair of girls' underwear and a t-shirt and also men's underwear and a t-shirt, which they assume belongs to Jennifer and her attacker. They take these items in for DNA, but, you know, it's 1990, starting DNA stuff, but there's not enough DNA on those articles of clothing to result in some sort of profile. But they hold on to it anyway. Jennifer proved the doctors wrong and pulled through. And within days after the attack, she wanted to tell the police everything that she could remember. 
So she started to write everything down on paper. She Girl. talk. So she was like, give me paper. I'm going to write it all down. Now you're eight and I have an eight year old. <laughs> yeah. And I know what his writing is like <laughs> and how he writes and whatever. And when you see some of the stuff that, cause they have like pictures of what she wrote. Wow. It's very really similar. Yeah. It's just like little snippets of stuff she wrote. So she wrote down how he mentioned that he was an undercover cop. That's how we knew that. And that her mom was coming to get her. She also mentioned that he said his name was Dennis. She said he smoked cigarettes and drank beer and that he had several empty cans of beer in his car. The police were like shocked with the amount of information that she was providing them. And so they were like, uh, would you be up for having a sketch artist come in and give a description? She was like, yeah, I'm all for it. Do it. So the sketch artist comes to the hospital and she brings a book with like sample sketches of like noses and certain parts of like the face that she could like point to. But then there was other times that she wrote down like, oh, he had a bushy eyebrows or whatever. Mm -hmm. So after several hours, they have a full sketch and they release it to the public. They get several leads and they follow up with them over the next several weeks, but those leads really never pan out to anything. And slowly the leads just dry up and her case goes cold, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. She was released from the hospital two weeks after her attack, which was amazing when they didn't wow. think she was going to survive. And when she's released, she is already talking. Wow. So, Girl. Yeah, exactly. Way to find Go your voice. Jennifer. For real. And, and so in one of the interviews, she actually mentions that she remembers, I think it was an uncle that she like asked for a specific candy from the um, gift shop. And he came back with a different candy and was like, Oh, they didn't have that one. And she remembers feeling frustrated that she didn't get the candy she wanted. And she like grunted. And that was the first sound that came mm -hmm. out. They were like, she's like, okay, I can make a sound. And since then she hasn't shut up. That's what she says. <laughs> so. Amazing. Very cool. So over the years, Jennifer's case gets, you know, passed on from investigator to investigator. And she kind of feels defeated every time that she has to meet with a new one and feels like she has to start over all over again. 18 years after the attack in 2008, yet another new investigator contacts her about the file. He asks her to come in and talk to him about it. Jennifer goes to speak to him. But she's not very optimistic and is kind of wondering, like, okay, why are you going to be any different from anybody else that has taken over this case and done anything? This investigator promises her, I'm going to do everything in my power to help you find the answers that you need. And I will do that until the end of my career. I will keep wow. working at this until the end of my career. And she, for some reason, when he says that, she's like, I believe you. And okay, let's get to it. So she agrees to work with him. One of the first things that he wants to do is to find out the evidence that was taken from the scene and then see if there's, they can find a DNA profile because since 1990, this is 2008 now, profiles have like progressed and you don't need as much evidence as you needed back in 1990. Also, I think we just need to keep in mind that she was taken from her bed in her home. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. what? 
what kind of horror story is this? Mm. It's definitely the nightmare of my, uh, the nightmare of my dreams. Is that a statement? No, it's not. <laughs> Number one now. nightmare. Nightmare of, of our dreams. Time. Put it on a t-shirt. Nightmare of our dreams. <laughs> yeah. So they want to go back and get this, the underwear, the t-shirt, the, well, the two pairs of underwear and the two t-shirts. Cause they're like, well, we don't need as much evidence or DNA on something to get a profile as we did back in 1990. So they go back and they, they find the box that's still being preserved. And they're pleasantly surprised to find that the evidence had been perfectly preserved. Thank God so, that never happened. Right? No, it doesn't. It's either lost or they're like, Oh, I don't know. It, somebody opened it. Throw when it, it away. Went or, yeah. So they immediately send it off to Quantico to be tested. They may be able to make a profile easier now, but they still have to kind of wait a while. So I think they wait close to a year, maybe even more. But in September of 2009, the investigator gets a call that they got a hit on CODIS. And the name they get, the name they get is Dennis Bradford. Okay. So remember eight-year-old Jennifer said, well, he told me his name was Dennis. So they were just kind of like, wow, well, she's pretty dang accurate. She actually knew what she was talking about. So the first thing they do is check into Dennis to make sure that he could be tied to the area during the time of the attack. And they do. And they find that he in fact had an address in the area in 1990. I believe there was like two different addresses that he had, but they could tie him there. And he was living about a halfway between Jennifer's apartment complex and the field that, which she was found in. Okay. So they're like, okay, now we've got Dennis pretty good suspect since his DNA is there. And he yeah, lived pretty there. dang good. Yeah. <laughs> pretty dang good. So they proceed to pull his license photo from way back in 1990 and they compare it to the sketch and they're like, I have got to post this photo. They are freaking identical. Like no. homegirl gave the best description she could. And most of them had never seen such an accurate sketch in their lives. And from an eight year old was like, put the cherry on the freaking cake. Like she's a rock star in my opinion. She really is a rock star. Holy crap. Mm hmm. So on October 13th, 2009, Dennis Bradford is arrested after 19 years. And she was convinced this was never going to be solved at this point. She was determined to get it solved, but she had kind of started to give up hope, I think. So 19 years, she's 27. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So now, unfortunately, what I have to do is talk to you a little bit about Dennis. Which no. I know we don't typically like to do, but because he's the offender, but it took 19 years to catch him. And it's kind of an interesting background story here. So clearly he had lived in Texas at the time of the attack. At some point, unclear as to when he moves to Arkansas. So in 1991, that's where he's living in hot springs, <laughs> hot springs. It seems like mm -hmm. such a cool place, but I don't want to go there. Yeah. Hot springs, Arkansas. In September of 1991, 18-year-old Lisa Kay 
That's just an initial. Okay. I, I don't know what her actual last name is. It's never given. I can't find it anywhere. She's out with her aunt. As they're walking to a bar one night, she was a designated driver, by the way. Someone sped past them on their bike and they were just kind of startled. And this guy on the bike circled back to apologize. Like, oh gosh, I didn't mean to like startle you guys, whatever. Sorry, so, so sorry. Like a bike ends up. Yeah. He's on a, like a 10 Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> zooms, okay. Zooms past him and is like, hey. And they're like, what? Who is that? Oh my gosh. Like whatever. And he realized he startles them. So he comes back and he's like, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to do that. So he ends up joining them at the bar. And this is Dennis Bradford. Lisa and Dennis start dating and he's a charming young man who loves to tell stories. He's 21. He's studying to be a stonemason. Five months later, he proposes to Lisa. And one month after that, they're married. The couple end up moving back to Lisa's hometown of Bonnerdale, Arkansas. So because he did complete his studies to be a stonemason, but he was unable to find a job. He was having trouble. So they moved back to her hometown because her grandmother had a farm and he could work on the farm for the grandmother. Okay. Okay. So within six months, Lisa is pregnant. Dennis is thrilled when they find out about it, but at random times throughout the pregnancy, he doesn't seem quite as excited as Lisa is. And just kind of is acting a little bit odd. And he also is appearing to drink a little bit, which when they first got married or got together, she wasn't drinking because she was 18, but he was saying, Oh, I don't drink either. Let's get some Cokes together. You know? So he kind of gave the impression that he didn't drink initially, but then he started drinking, which Lisa was like, it's not for me, but, and so I'm fine with you doing it. I just want you to be honest with me and don't like hide it. And come home and I'm like, what's going on? Why are you acting so weird? So anyway, <clears throat> in April of 1993, they welcomed their son Felix into the family. Dennis is a great dad. He's super proud of having a son, showing off pictures of him all the time. Six months later, October of 1993, Lisa finds out she's pregnant once again. And again, during this pregnancy, Dennis is excited, but then acts act strange at times. And she's kind of like, what the heck is going on? Lisa also remembers that one day he comes home and they're like messing around, they're laughing. And all of a sudden he says with a straight face, I just wish I were dead. <laughs> she was like, right? Yeah. She's like, we were messing around. Like he was tickling me and like laughing. And all of a sudden he just stands there and he's like, you know, I just wish I was dead. Uh, yeah, I know. Red flag, red flag. Right? Red flag. So she gets upset and tells him, oh, she's like, this is nothing to joke about. Why are you saying something like that? Whatever. And he's he apologizes immediately. And he's like, I don't know why I said it. I don't know what came over me. Just forget I said it. Okay. I don't know if I could forget that, but well, whatever. We're moving on. Okay. <laughs> In the spring of 1993, Dennis one day says something about, remember that girl that was kidnapped and killed? I did that. I committed that crime. What? Yeah. Right. So she again gets upset with him and is like, why are you talking about this? Why are you making up stories? 
he immediately backtracks and is like, I don't mean it. Again, I don't know why I'm saying it. And she didn't believe him. And she was like, at times he would just kind of say, when he was like acting weird, he would just say things that he didn't mean. So she just assumed that this is one of those times. And I'm sorry, but if my husband said something like that, uh huh, I'm pretty sure that I may have taken some time to like get to the bottom of why you're saying that. And <laughs> yeah. why you would... And I am not in any way blaming her for anything. No. Because clearly now we understand more about the signs we should be looking out for and what we should do than we were back in the 90s, probably. Well, yes. Very true, obviously. And we can see things out here that she can't see in in the time, in the moment. Like, in the moment, you're like, well, obviously he didn't kidnap somebody because this is my husband and the father of my children and he's talking crazy. So obviously he's being so silly. We see that on the inside, but on the outside, we're like, girl. <laughs> right. And, yeah. and honestly, now she sees it for something much different. Sure. Well, obviously. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's yeah. easy for her to see it too now, like outside looking in. Exactly. So, yeah. So Lisa does notice that he starts to drink more than he usually does. And in July of 1994, they welcome their daughter, Jessica, into the world. And the night she is born, he like leaves the hospital, disappears, and doesn't come back until the next morning. And she's kind of like, what the heck? I just had a baby. And you leave? And you, like, what's going on? So he comes back and he, with him, he brings a cake, like, happy birthday, Jessica, or whatever, like celebrating the birth. And she's like, hold on a second. Where were you? Like, great. You brought back a cake, but where the heck were you? And she, he's like, well, I, would, I went out to celebrate the birth of our child. Like, I just wanted to go and celebrate. She's like, uh, still not okay. Can you please yeah. leave? She's, she's here. Like, Your child's here. With right. Yeah. Me celebrate with me, not go drinking at a bar or whatever you did. So she kicks him out of the room. Hmm. And not long after this, Lisa decides this isn't going to work out. Like, I don't want, this isn't the kind of life I want. I, I think we need to separate. So they end up moving back to hot springs together and they get a house also together and live in the same house for the kid's sake. Like they're separated, but we'll live together so that we can raise the kids and figure things out in the meantime. So in April of 1996, an undercover police officer come to their home and they want to bring Dennis in for questioning because a woman had been assaulted the night before that at a bar and she, her, actually she was sexually assaulted and her throat was cut and oh. she was able to write, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for, uh, recognizing a pattern here. Mm -hmm. She's able to write down the license plate of the attacker and it matched Dennis car, Dennis's car, which is why they showed up at his house. Okay. So Dennis is arrested for this. And when Lisa goes to like visit him in jail or whatever, she, he's like, uh, I think this is a total mistake. I, it's not, it's not what you think. I didn't do this. I would never hurt somebody. It's all a misunderstanding. I did come across a woman in the parking lot of that bar that night. She looked as if she had been beaten. So I offered to help her. I was like, Hey, would you like me to drive you home or to the hospital? Whichever one you want, I'll do. 
And she's like, I just want you to drive me home, gets in the car, freaks out on him at some point and gets out and runs. So that's his explanation as to why he had like, or she had his license plate number because she had actually gotten into his car with him. Okay. He was just trying to help. Okay. I mean, maybe that could have happened, but I don't know why she would have been saying that you were the one to attack her. Right. I don't know. So anyway, no one believes this story because he was charged <laughs> with rape and kidnapping. The rape charge, which this has happened in more than one case, is dropped eventually, which I don't know why that rape charge gets dropped, but the rape one gets dropped and he was found guilty of the kidnapping and sentenced to 12 years. Wow. Okay. While he while he's in prison, listen, listen, <laughs> Lisa <laughs> officially divorces him and moves on with her life. After three years in prison, he's released on good behavior. Wow. Why? Okay. Three years. Wow. Why? Okay. Yeah. Why? Why? I, that's my biggest question. Why? I don't mm -hmm. care how good you are. You kidnapped. You were found guilty of kidnapping someone. You don't get released on good behavior. Okay. Whatever. Anyway. So when he gets out, he moves to Little Rock, Arkansas. He gets a job as a welder and he gets remarried to a woman who has, I believe, three children of her own. Lisa, at this time, wants her children to have a relationship with their father. So she allowed him to see them one weekend a month. I okay. mean, I feel like she's being a good person here. Well, yeah. For the kids, I'm sure. <clears throat> so he'd buy them toys, take them to fun places. His son actually in some interviews said, looking back now as an adult, it seemed as if he was like trying to buy their love. Like he would always have a toy. He'd always bring them to the amusement park. He'd, you know, oh, be the one. Oh, Disneyland dad. That's a thing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, that was Dennis apparently mm -hmm. during this time. Okay. Fast forward nine years. Sorry. Okay. Oh, yeah. But this basically, this this all just continues for nine years. Dennis is arrested for kidnapping, rape, and attempted murder of Jennifer Shewitt. Okay. And everyone is in shock because they're like, this seemingly loving husband, albeit not 100% of the time, but he does seem to be a loving husband and father, could <laughs> not be involved in something so heinous. This is what everyone's thinking. Like, what? He's like the guy next door. Not really though. So he's brought in for questioning. He's arrested he's and brought in. And raped people and in the past. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, just like good guy, whatever. Right. But the, the one that he was convicted of was like, he was saying this total misunderstanding. Okay. So I'm sure maybe people he loved maybe believed that since that was the one thing in his past. Right? Well, I don't have a one thing like that in my past. <laughs> I mean, like, well, I'm I saying. understand. <laughs> I understand. Totally understand. I'm with you. I'm with okay. you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I have to like, I have to put all of it out there. The possibilities. <laughs> okay. Okay. So when he's brought in, they're questioning him. And there's actually parts of this that you can watch online. And the police ask, okay, do you know Jennifer Shewitt? He's like, Yes. Yes. I know who that is. Uh, have you ever come across her? 
He's like, yep. Yeah, I have. They're like, okay, so in what capacity have you come? Like, did you come across her? Like, what, what did you do with her? And he's like, well, I don't really know that I need to answer this because I feel like you've done your homework and you already know. <gasps> and the police were like, yep, we do. But they're like, if you feel any remorse at all, this is the time for you to tell us everything that happened so that mm-hmm. we can get a full picture. So he starts out by saying the last 19 or whatever, 20 years of his life have been effed up. He almost completed suicide right after what he did in 1990, but he just couldn't do it. He then told police what happened that night, that he had driven past the complex. He doesn't know what drew him into that parking lot, but he went in. He saw the light on in Jennifer's room, and he could tell by the light that was inside that it was a kid's bedroom. He climbed right into her window because they lived on the ground level, took her out of her bed as she slept. And we already know the rest. I'm not going to like bog you down with what happened next because we already know it. The police mention at this point to him, well, and I don't really know why they say this, these words, but they'd say, you would be proud of the woman she's become and that she's a strong woman. And when they say this, Dennis is like, she's alive. (gasps) He didn't even watch the news or anything. Oh my gosh, idiot. He had no idea she was still alive. And he breaks down crying and like exclaiming like, oh my gosh, thank God. Thank God she's still alive. So when you look at this, honestly, and I I do not like this man as a terrible person, but he looks like he truly is remorseful for what he thought he had done for 20 years. Like he's like, Thank God she's alive. I had no idea. Whatever. So Dennis and his attorneys at this point decide they don't want to put Jennifer through a trial to relive all of what she went through. Plus, she doesn't remember half of it. They don't know that, though. So he pleads guilty, and they just decide, let's go to court, hear the victim impact statement, and do sentencing. Wow. However, however. Before he could go to sentencing, Dennis is, Dennis is found hanging in no. his jail cell. <gasps> yes. Yeah. And Jennifer is basically livid over this. She's like, I wanted to let him know. I wanted to tell him my impact, like victim impact statement and let him know he didn't, not only did he not kill me, but he didn't even kill my spirit because here I am years later fighting for justice in this and like fighting for other people's justice. So she drives to his gravesite on the 20th anniversary of the attack on August 10th, 2010 to read her statement to him at his gravesite. And when she's done, she's like, she looks at her husband and she's like, do you think he can hear me? And she said that at that, that moment, a fire ant, bites her on the leg and she's like, yeah, he heard me. He's got it. Wow. Jennifer is now married, two kids of her own, and she's a victim advocate. And I told you this before we started recording because I spoiler alerted to you. 
I have tried to contact her because I would like her to talk with us about what she's doing now and what is like just become of all of this. Like we don't need her to tell this story. We just did, but I want her to tell us what she's doing right now. And all of this, the people she has impacted over the years have not heard from her, but I only tried to contact her a couple of days. So I hope one day that we do at some point, but that is insane. Eight years old. We have had survivors, but this girl was eight years old and the amount of details she was able to give police that at the time, like didn't help, but was 100% spot on when they finally figured it out is insane. I mean, the fact that she even survived at eight years old and went through all that, she got stolen out of her bedroom. Like I cannot with that just from the get, I cannot, I cannot. When we're done here, I'm going to go lock all everything. All the windows. Double check all the, all the things, the alarms, everything. Like that's very scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is the most mortifying thing ever to think that somebody just ra- and he had no. He was like, I don't even know why I did that. I don't even know why I went in that apartment complex. Like, yeah. also, it's weird that that is the only. Is that the only person you think that he? Well, that besides he, the woman that he right. attacked. I believe now that he was the one that attacked that person mm-hmm. in the parking lot. I mean, sure. I believed it from the beginning, but that's, that's it. I mean, his, and his DNA was only in the system because mm-hmm. of that attack and he had been arrested for it. Wow. That's why he got caught. Thank God. Yeah. Insane. It. This was, it was a very, like I told you, cut and dry. Like, this is what happened. This is how it went down, but it was phenomenal. But this eight-year-old, I, I, I don't know. The whole thing is, I, I would, I want to be her friend. Jennifer, yeah. if you ever listen to this, I want to be your friend. Because I know, right? You are fantastic. And I'm sure she doesn't want to have that kind of like, Oh, you're such a victim, whatever. And you're so awesome. Like she just wants to help. No, she's not a victim. She's a survivor. You know what? You know what she said? Oh my gosh. I cannot remember the exact statement, but she said that she, something about not being a victim, but Mm -hmm. she's victorious. Uh, Girl. Yes. Mm -hmm. That is awesome. That is awesome. I would only hope to be somebody like you, Jennifer, Mm -hmm. literally coolest thing. Dennis, where's he at? In jail. No, he's dead. He hung oh, he's himself. Dead. That's right. I forgot. That's right. Oh, that's such a tragedy of the whole thing. Um, well, he got his. And I mean, the guilt obviously got to him. Like you said, he mm-hmm. thought she was dead the whole entire time. I can't. That's even weird, too, because you think like if you would kill someone. I'm sure this was news in his town. And so why would he not watch? Anyway, that's either here or well, there, but. I will say that I don't know. Nobody knows when he left Texas to go Mm -hmm. to Arkansas. So he could have left not long after that because he did say that he attempted suicide right after. Mm -hmm. So maybe he decided right after that, that I need to leave town. And so maybe it just wasn't local news anymore when he was in Arkansas. But I feel like still, if that's what you do, you're going to like, I don't know. I guess there, wasn't a whole lot of internet stuff 
you know, like Googling it or looking but it up. I'm at that sure time. this was big news. An eight year old girl found in this condition. Yeah. And then she survived. I'm sure. I can't imagine. But anyway, you know what? If it's not the justice system, it will be guilt and karma that will get you. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get away with it in any capacity. Some way yeah. or another, it's going to get you. And he's just an example of that. And Jennifer, you're awesome. Kudos to you. We are in awe. You're inspiring. All of our victims are amazing people, um, but it is very special whenever you have one who can speak for herself. Mm-hmm. Because then it's literally not yeah. speaking when yes. she was told she wasn't going to. Exactly. <laughs> it's amazing. I bet that was a hard story to research. It was. It was. Because clearly that's horrific, a, a horrific thing. And hearing her say, Stuff like, well, it was, I mean, I don't know if she used the word blessing, but I think it's a blessing that she was unconscious during the most horrific parts of that attack. Like she had to live through it, but she doesn't remember being raped as an eight-year-old. She doesn't remember him slitting her throat. You know, she remembers the after stuff, which is still just as horrific. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure her body remembers it and there's like so much trauma there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Way to overcome. I mean, that's just absolutely amazing. I can't imagine. I literally can't imagine. So, Mm-mm. okay. Thank you so much. That was awesome. Yes. I and love thank these. you, Brittany, for thank sending you, Brittany. that to us. Yeah. Do you know where Brittany def- found the story? I don't. I don't. She, I, I believe she just sent it saying, have you ever heard of this? Okay. And I don't think cool. there was like a connection or anything. So, okay. Still, either way, no, we had never heard of it. And that's great. So thank you so much. That is amazing. And we hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, We are not only going to keep these survivor stories to September, very unlike serial killer, which we are like, (laughs) never, never (laughs) going Mm -mm. to cover outside of September. Um, Yeah, I agree with you that the survivor stories are very interesting to sprinkle in. So um, that was great. And we hope you guys keep listening. We'll be back next Monday for another new story. We appreciate you guys so much. I said it in the beginning. Your messages are awesome. We love them. Please keep them coming. If you like what you hear, hit that subscribe button because that's going to alert you to every new episode that we have coming out. And you can do a rating and a review on the whatever podcatcher you listen to, Spotify, Apple. There's a couple of them that you can do that. If you listen to us on YouTube, we'd love your comments. And if you want to hit subscribe, um, yeah. Thank you so much. We have a Patreon. If you're interested in that, you can go listen, get some more content for three bucks a month. We have a lot of fun over there and always remember the world is scary. People suck. Hide in your closet.